So we're in the same room, but different continents. I'm in Washington, D.C. I'm in Shoreditch, London, London, UK. And I'm Scott Wayne. And I'm A. Scott And this is Envoy Recorded Radio. Okay, so I'm looking at your picture and it looks remarkably like my picture. You have a TV screen and a little dog on a bookshelf and a weird little puppet toy. But we are 3,600 miles away from each other. What's going I on I love here? that you know that, for one. Um, yeah, I'm in London and I don't have wine, which is, that is a problem. That it, that my room didn't come with that. Uh, yeah, no, I'm on the road. You're on the road. We are still doing ERR, and it's but, from separate places. But this is the first time that this is actually a podcast that you'll admit to it, because where are we each staying? <laughs> We're in Citizen M, and they are as close to pods as I'll ever be. So Citizen M is a Dutch hotel chain, and I guess this is sponsored by Citizen M this, this week, just like Bud Light last week. Also, everybody owes us a check for the involuntary sponsorships. Is that uh, Citizen M is this sort of like Euro trash, uh, Jean-Paul Gaultier-esque uh, hotel chain that is just these little like pods that you can change the lights, right? You do stuff on your phone. I don't know what you do. You but we, lights, but yeah. we stay there because actually I think this is interesting with respect to the work that we do around um, removing friction. We stay at Citizen M because they have a big bed. Well, speak for yourself. I have a big bed that you can fit in. Yeah. They have clean showers and you can check in really easily and you can cancel very easily. And so we stay in these places. And also we're passionate believers that if you're in a city, you probably shouldn't rate the hotel you stay in by the restaurant because maybe, how do I say this politely, maybe you go into the fucking city that you're staying in and go to a restaurant that's there. <laughs> I think that would be appropriate. Can you see the lights changing in the background? Oh, yeah, I can. It's kind of cool. Yeah, I know. Yeah, there's, there's an iPad. <clears throat> All right, literally really cool. not sponsored uh, by Citizen M, but we happen to be in the same No, pod. but, but so can, we, can, we talk about, can we talk about Citizen M for a second? Um, because I really like it. And I think you and Vera are confused as to why I like it. And I'm confused as to why you're confused. So let's talk through this. So Citizen M has been around for a decade and a half, couple of decades. It's a Dutch company. It's very Dutch. Like you can tell. Yeah. It's just like it's got that whole like Dutch, both super efficient, super creative, slightly weird. We've each got this weird doll in our room. Um, yeah. But... I I always presumed you'd need to stay in like, um, I'm trying to think of that hotel in uh, the Wick in uh, Williamsburg in Brooklyn, or is it called the Wick? You know what I mean, the one that's right by Brooklyn. Bro- uh, the Wife. The yeah. Wife. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. And you know, or the you know Citizen M have a hotel in the Bowery. There's the Bowery Hotel. Like I just presumed yeah, Ace, you'd be one Ace of, Hotel. Oh yeah. Um, you know, there's even yeah. a hotel named after you. Like I just presumed you'd need to be in a place that where you could have your photograph taken and people would think that's where Ace would stay. <laughs> so why do you like these places? Um, I it's not because we're trying to promote this chain. We're literally not paid by anybody for this. But, no. But I, what is the I dynamics is, of this little like? It's essentially a high-end prison cell. What, what is it that you I like mean, about it? Yeah, I did, I, I'm not going to make an Elizabeth Holmes comment. Um, <laughs> Yeah, no, it's, it is, 
incredibly thoughtful, like end to end thoughtful. You get to the hotel, you check in on a computer screen. So you don't really have to talk to anybody. Of course, they ask if you need the spiel. Um, and if you say you've been here before, they're like, cool, you're good. Uh, you type in your name to find your reservation. It's all the things that somebody does on a computer when you check into a hotel, except for you get to do it. And for some folks, I could see that being a problem. I think it's incredibly efficient because 12 people can be checking in at this bank of computers at the same time. And then you can even cut your own key card. And you know what's not really hard? Picking a blank key card up, putting it on a little scanner, and then you've got your key card and it prints out your room number and you walk up to your room. Um, all of the touch points, I think, are so incredibly thoughtful. It's little things like, hey, we don't put irons in all of the rooms, right? Like that seems like a problem for I think a lot of travelers. For me, it's efficient. I don't need an iron in my room. What they do have are, they call it iron heaven. And there are rooms on every floor that have an iron and an ironing board. Because you know what everybody's not doing at the same time, ironing their clothes. And what I find is where they find efficiencies, which seem very reasonable, very practical, they also make up for it elsewhere. So the price is a little lower than most hotels, but I wouldn't say it's a budget hotel what you find is you go down for breakfast and they actually make properly scrambled eggs and they give you thick cut bacon. And there's, there's a hearty solid meal. That's not some kitschy wannabe chef in the back making the hotel cool because they brought in some boutique chef. It's like, they just cook real food. And I'd imagine for where they find efficiencies, they give that back to the traveler. But beyond that, there are little touch points like um, the books that they have in here. Oh, don't pro don't promote Please that. Don't. don't promote don't no, promote Alan I'm, de Botton. I'm not. I'm no, not. No, I'm you can though, at... but they're they're kind of it's good stuff, but it's better than our stuff. It's, which is why you shouldn't it's, promote well, it. Well <laughs> they're just why we hate cheap things is one of the titles of the books. This is and the is this the school of life? Is that what it is? This is these are the school yeah. of life books, yeah. yeah. I think the books are really thoughtfully done and they have the same ones in every room. And every time I've stayed, I've just read like a chapter or two of each do you book. Know, so do, you know what it, do you know what it says on the School of Life website? So it's, it's, founded, no, by, it's founded by the modern philosopher Alain de Botton, which is, his books are really good. And there's one actually where he lives in Heathrow Airport for, I think it's a week. It's really, it's really right. good, yeah. <laughs> anyway, so what it says on a School of Life's website is if, if you are thinking about hiring Envoy, but you have sufficient budget and you want world-class, use us instead. That's what it says on their website. They're like us, just better on their, on their education side. So yeah, don't promote them. Uh, so, right. so the last thing I'll yeah. put here is, is there are some touches across the, they've got like a really cool kind of pop art feel in the lobby and, you know, food and drinks and bar and all of that stuff. And there's Eames loungers. So like there are things that I do appreciate and you'd find in an Ace Hotel. Um, but it's the little touch points. So when you go to breakfast, for instance, uh, clearly I'm motivated by food. When you go to breakfast, there's, you get a tray and you like fill up your food. And when you're done, they've got this like stack of trays <laughs> that you put them away so they can go clean them. And it says something like, please feed the, the breakfast tray, it's hungry, right? And like, you just put your like finished dishes on it. And that to me would be really silly in any other environment that wasn't end to end thoughtful. Right. The fact that it's there in this environment says to me that even that is something that they were really intentional about. Um, I'm looking at uh, I'm looking at the phone in the room that has a bunch of options on it. 
and it says something about the rates, and it says similar to Sky slash uh, voiceover internet rates for the technophobes, this means it's very affordable. There's just little touch points on everything that says we thought through every detail, and that to me, they will have my business for a long time. Do you time know, given given because it's intentional. <laughs> given that you're in Europe right now, it's much more relaxed about this stuff. If you turn on that TV, it will say. Yeah. <clears throat> Hey, uh, if you want to watch the BBC or ITV, Channel 4, Channel 5, all that, it's there, probably Sky too. Uh, if you'd like to watch uh, pornography, click this channel. And Ace, if you'd like to watch your pornography, and it's just YouTube videos of user experiences. It's just that, and you get to... <laughs> you get to... <laughs> hey, like, and there's this yeah, phone, and it has this thing, and it has... You really are obsessed about this, aren't you? Yeah. Don't, don't yuck my yum, Scott. I, I, I really... Disgusting. I really dig it. Okay, and it's hey, consistent. Hey, can I share? Um, so, can we talk about Father's Day for a little bit? Because Father's Day was yeah. yesterday, uh, day before yeah, yesterday. Do. So we're going to talk it about Father's Day, and I want to talk about Juneteenth too, which is yesterday. The um, mm. so my kids gave me. <laughs> they were um, uh, Elizabeth gave them a little kind of bracelet set that they could make their own jewelry. And yeah. they made their own jewelry on Saturday night and Sunday morning. And then I was given my gift on Sunday morning for my Father's Day gift. And I watched, watched these three little girls making jewelry, like leaning into, <laughs> leaning into the stereotype of just being creative and sort of we're all at home. It's sort of this perfect family setting. It could be from some like Hallmark movie or something. And then I got my gift and this bracelet said for Father's Day, fuck the patriarchy. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, <laughs> they made your, they made Uncle Ace proud. Anyway, with a little with a little TS from Taylor Swift hidden in that as it went Good through. on them. Um, so Father's Day, and then yeah. uh, can we just talk about Father's Day for a second? Because yeah. I, I I see these memes, memes. I see these social media posts about hey, why on Mother's Day do the moms have to like sit through this un unconsumable breakfast that's being made for the children and read cards and and the on Father's Day, the men go out to golf or they go to the pub. Can I just say something very clearly on this? No, the fathers don't. The the lousy fathers do. The lousy fathers mm. go to golf for a day and to, but actually the dads they spend their day with their kids. And I had an awesome Father's Day. I had an, a, a great dad's day with another great dad on the river. <laughs> we put a, we put an engine on a pontoon boat that doesn't belong on a pontoon boat and dragged the kids behind it. They had a great time. Everybody lived. <laughs> Mate, I thought this thing was going to take off. Like, <laughs> it's like incredible. This, this was an engine that was not built for a pontoon boat. Um, but but no, that's not true. Don't believe that. If if you're posting about, hey, why is Father's Day and Mother's Day not equal? It's because you have an issue with the way the father is fathering, not because of how they're spending Father's Day. Uh, dads, dads who love their kids, you know, do this amazing thing. They want to be with their kids. That is a that is maybe the hottest take that we've had on non boy recorded radio. Oh, wow. this stuff. Oh, there. Yeah. yeah. And and tell if, me how you really feel. And if you, oh, I may be passionate about this. If if you don't have a great relationship with your dad, yeah, that's okay. Especially if you are the daughter of a father and you don't have a great relationship with your dad. Just a reminder that uh, the responsibility for that fit in all other relationships, there are two parties to it, and it is the responsibility of both parties. If you are the child of a male and you don't have a relationship, great relationship with your father, just be reminded the responsibility for that sits 101% with the father, 
that's the rules. You're given that when the child arrives. It's a little memo that's sent to you from whoever is your god that says you're 101 fucking percent responsible for this relationship. Make it work. Uh, yeah, they, they are just the rules. Non, non-negotiable. Um, but so moving to, and if you're a little boy as well, but, but particularly if you're a little girl. Uh, and you can have many role models in your life generally, and you can have many, um, you can have many powerful women role models in your life. You can also have many powerful male role mo- models in your life. Uh, they can be your dad. Um, and, and I love actually, I'm not, I was going to say I'm not a stepdad. I'm not legally a stepdad. I'm sort of a stepdad, mm. but I love the definition of a stepdad is a dad who stepped up to fill mm. a place that is really important. So if you're a stepdad and you can choose to be a stepdad to any kid, uh, go yeah. step up, do it. It's great. All right. Okay, rant over. Next rant. Bring it on. <laughs> you convey about. Oh, Juneteenth. Okay. Juneteenth. Yeah. Uh, uh, so, so Juneteenth is a a very old thing for some it's, people. It's an old thing and a new thing. And a new thing. Right. Do you want to bring that to life yeah. a little bit? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, Juneteenth um, is Freedom Day for black folks a lot of them at least again like black folks aren't a monolith i think we've touched on that before but uh, for black folks for for the descendants of enslaved africans particularly in this country it is freedom day and and the history here it originated in texas um juneteenth june 19th slammed together uh union general somebody or another i should probably know his name it was uh, george or uh, general granger yeah, you can check me on that yeah. general granger um so two and a half years after the emancipation emancipation proclamation was issued which uh, abraham lincoln freed the slaves is the credit that he gets probably rightfully so um two and a half years after that um the folks in Texas were told by a union general that they were free. So, I mean, think about, I'll contextualize this, think about serving a prison sentence that you were wrongly accused, wrongly convicted, wrongly imprisoned, and a judge commutes your sentence and somebody very conveniently fails to tell you until two and a half years later because the labor that they are getting is more important and more practical than acknowledging and informing you of your freedom. That's effectively what happened in the United States as you moved further west and the Emancipation Proclamation hadn't, or the news of, hadn't reached that far and certainly wasn't passed along to the enslaved folks. Um, So when the Union Army arrived and made this announcement, it was the kind of last corner of slavery and enslaved people who were freed as a function of the Emancipation Proclamation, but that date, June 19th, 1865, is the one that we celebrate. And so Galveston, Texas is where this celebration uh, really took hold and started to grow and has rippled out across the country and really across the world. There are pockets of various countries that celebrate Juneteenth. Um, So Juneteenth became a federal holiday in 2021. And so now we get that holiday off. And of course, I would imagine we immediately start forgetting that it's a real thing for real reasons um, because it's a day off. But uh, for black folks across the country, they've been celebrating 
this holiday. We've been celebrating this holiday and it was actually newer to me kind of mid uh, mid to late teens when when I got um, informed of and really hip to uh, but yeah so folks have been celebrating this for a long time and the rest of the country has been invited um, perhaps to to appreciate what that day is and, and what it commemorates so there's a history it's an interesting construct isn't it and i think for anybody that is outside of the u.s <laughs> actually i i pulled our listener analytics we've got listeners in moldova in the netherlands mm -hmm. uh serbia and um other places that are there are probably people i owe money to which is a little worrying but the for those who sort of are trying to wrap their heads around the united states it's an interesting notion that June the 19th, so shorthand for Juneteenth is June the 19th, is Freedom Day for black Americans. Of course, July the 4th is Independence Day, but inherently Juneteenth is Freedom Day from the people who got independence on Independence Day. And I don't mean that as a joke. It's, it's a, like a fascinating, if you wanted to sort of understand the tension that exists in society from a historical narrative perspective in the United States. It's understanding that in June, we celebrate a holiday from which a subset of people gained freedom from another subset of people that we, we celebrate their freedom on July 4th from another subset of people that sort of are my people as it goes through. And I wonder if there's there, we still don't have the Equal Rights Amendment. I don't, I don't think, did we? We didn't get the ERA through, right? It still doesn't have the states that it needs, the, the Equal Rights Amendment around um, women's equality. I don't think we did. Oh, no. Two men talking about it. This is the worst. I know that Virginia ratified it, but I think it missed the deadline for the number of states that you needed to ratify it. Somebody will message us and tell us. But I, I feel like there, <clears throat> there needs to be a suffragette day that is also the day that is Freedom Day. And arguably... And I think this is a place that really needs to connect the United States a little bit, a blue collar white male freedom day, because the thing that we forget about, uh, about American independence is it did not give the right to vote to working white men at all. It gave the vote to landowning white men. And we sort of, the, the division is in the wrong place. Like weirdly, Bubba and uh, the suffragettes and um, uh, Frederick Douglass, MLK, like those movements are actually in the same pool. And mm -hmm. I'm starting to sound like a Marxist now, but I think Marxist theory explains a lot of that divide and conquer stuff that goes on. So Juneteenth paralleled with July the 4th. It's kind of an interesting construct. God, we've pissed off so many people just in that past three minutes. Yeah, I, I mean... Uh, hey, let's talk about user experience in hotel rooms. Let's just, let's just do the fluffy stuff. <laughs> That was you cutting me off from doubling down. No, 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 go. Double down, double down, double down. No, I was just going to say I don't care. Oh, well, that's that, that was my double down. Yeah, we did All that. All right. Fluffy stuff. All right. Not the little minions behind us. While we're ranting, can we talk about rich people in submarines? Because uh, this oh, week we are not yeah. doing Envoy Tank Radio. We're going to do Envoy Submarine, also known as In the Tank Radio. So news coming in just moments before we go on this. Um, I was very aware that the French government, God bless them, because there aren't more important things going on, are sending a recovery team to rescue that little five-person submarine that is a yeah. tourist vessel to look at Titanic. The French government are sending rescue craft to go. 
I mean, just remind the French government that there's a war in Ukraine right now that could really step up to maybe with some assets, yep. a little bit more. They're doing all right, but a little bit more. Um, but we have five rich people on a submarine. Uh, so, so I think that the magnitude of this is is not really clear. I, I'm gonna. I need to look this up just to make sure I'm getting this this correct. While you're doing that, yeah. do you think this is akin? Why do you think this is such a highlighted phenomenon? Oh, I th I think it's very explainable because it's a, it's a it's a great narrative. It's a great story. So so for those that aren't aware of it, you'd have to be living in a like a submarine. You have to be living. A, that's not funny, but it is a little bit. You have to be living in a submarine to not know this. Is that so? We locate. I don't know. Fifteen years ago, we locate where the the wreck of the Titanic is. It's several couple of hundred miles off the coast of Newfoundland, and then this high-end sort of tourism submarine company develops this high-end submarine that can take a very small number of people to go down to the depths and see the wreckage site of the Titanic. They only do a few trips a year. The sea conditions only allow for a few trips a year, and the submarine's gone missing. And they have, um, by the latest reports, they have uh, a, a day or hours. So, yeah, yeah, something like a that. A couple of days oxygen. of oxygen left on the submarine, and so the coast, the U.S. Coast Guard, and I presume the Canadian Coast, Canadian Navy, Canadian Coast Guard is involved. <clears throat> yeah, are sending rescue teams, as are now the French government, because apparently there's a French citizen on there, there's a British citizen, French citizen, and I think the rest are Americans. And so we're sending these subs to rescue it, but let's just let's just think about these proportions for a second. Um, the the depth that the Titanic is at, according to the BBC, is the Titanic sits at three thousand eight hundred meters below the surface. And this submarine, this tourist submarine, sort of adventurous submarine, has the capability of reaching 4,000 meters. So suddenly you're like, oh, this is a reachable thing. There's the Titanic at 3,800 meters and this submarine has a capability of 4,000 meters. The deepest, at least NATO, the deepest NATO submarine at the depth that it's gone to is the USS Dolphin, which was decommissioned a few years ago, has gone to the depths of 900 meters. I'm not making these numbers up here. There's a magnitude of 10 involved in this. So Titanic sits at 3,800. A manned naval submarine, the deepest it's gone to on the official record, is 900 meters. So I was like, oh, that can't be true. So I looked up uh, nuclear submarines, and mm -hmm. I, so I looked up the, the Royal Navy's uh, nuclear fleet. So this is the, the fleet that carries nuclear weapons. Um, and the, the, the depth that those submarines can go to is 300 meters, so roughly 1,000 feet, 300 meters. So we're sending rescue teams and autonomous submarines and all of that sort of stuff to a depth that is a magnitude deeper than manned submarines and naval forces can get to, to save the lives of five people. And I'm not saying that that's not important. I'm not saying that those five lives aren't important. But back to our normalization thing that we were talking about a couple of weeks ago, and you were talking about um, your response to Fr uh, knife attacks in France and how you're describing how I loved it. You're like, oh, I had this emotional reaction to there were these random knife attacks yeah. in, in France and I was appalled by it, yet gun deaths were continuing in the United States. So last week, and this didn't make the news, or it didn't make the front pages or the front web pages, 41 school children were killed in an attack in Uganda. In addition to that, 
And um, then the school set on fire. The school like, was set on fire. Horrific. The school was set on fire. Yeah. And this this group then kidnapped a group of children to carry the stolen goods from the school. You know what I'm not seeing? I'm not seeing the French or British or Italian or German or Canadian or American government saying, let's go find those kids. But I am seeing is go rescue some multi-billionaires who can buy a ticket. The cost of these things was was ridiculous. A quarter million bucks. Yeah. 250,000. We are seeing those so I don't, I, yeah, I, the, the question I asked about like how and why we get there is is this. It's probably a couple pieces, right? You and I talk often in our work about uh, how people relate to groups. And so you've got Ukraine as a whole and there's a conflict there. And can I see myself there? And then you've got this small group of explorers, and I'm closer to seeing myself in those shoes. But I think there's a secondary piece, which is about the American dream. And the American dream, I think, expands and probably pertains to Western culture almost as a whole, right? There's this idea that one works hard enough in, in a lot of Western countries, and you get to a place where you can afford to do ridiculous shit like buy a quarter million dollar submarine ticket to see the Titanic. And it, it, allow me some latitude here. There's the, you know how we vote against tax, uh, taxing the rich appropriately? Like there are movements now, but often we see that we allow billionaires latitudes that we don't allow others there's this idea that one day, if I work enough, I will become a billionaire. Ah. And when I'm a billionaire, I will buy the quarter million dollar submarine <clears throat> ticket. And when I buy that submarine ticket, I fucking want somebody to come rescue me. What I don't expect is that I'm going to end up in a conflict like Ukrainians. I don't see myself, I, the royal yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I suppose. Yeah. I no, don't I... see myself in Ukraine in the way I see myself in a sub. I, of course I want to be rescued. I half agree with you. I think I think the North American perspective, probably American-Canadian, is, oh, yeah, that aspirational thing. One day I'll be this rich, and I think I should be mm. deserved to be rescued. I think Europeans is a little bit through the lens of, like, these are Euro you know, these are nationals of our country. We should go rescue them. But mm. so there's, there's one Brit on board uh, who has a kind of, I've got to say, I even struggle with this. He was defined as the, this great adventurer. And he might have been an adventurer in the past. He might have done some, though I don't even know how you can be an adventurer today because you can pretty much hitch a helicopter ride anywhere. But, but I'm not sure you're an adventurer because you bought a goddamn ticket to sit on a submarine that somebody else was driving. Otherwise, my adventure on this Amtrak train to Washington DC today was really bold. <laughs> I, went, <coughs> Go literally, I literally went before. through an FBI and Marine base called Quantico. I drove through it myself, except for the train driver and the train. Um, but the the it's so but it's under the guise of like protecting citizens. But if you yeah. if you go to if you go to North Korea today, against the advice of the State Department or the Canadian Ministry of Affairs or the French Ministry of Affairs and UK Foreign Office, like you're on your own, mate. Like we told you not to go there. You're going to go there. Like you're on your own. You go fight for rebels in Syria or you go volunteer for the Ukrainian army like we're not getting you out but at the same time somewhere there was a waiver that those people signed on that submarine that says hey you're on your own and I'm just yeah. not sure that there's like I yeah I mm. or just tell the truth like just go hey 
we're just writing the news headlines because this is an interesting story. And look, I'm a sucker for it because I love that documentary about the rescue of the of the boys in the cave uh, in the, Thailand. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, I get it. And everything's sort of, you know, the whole world rallies to rescue these kids. It's a horrible return on investment. Like the money that's spent. And, and I think that's where... I just love if we prefer to embrace the narrative and the subjective and not pretend that it's objective in any way because, yeah, I get it. I, I too would want to send a rescue team to rescue those boys. But in terms of the cost that it spends, it costs to send expert divers or in this case, submariners, uh, if we just applied that to uh, treatment of malaria, we'd, say, we'd save dozens more lives, hundreds more lives. And so yeah. I, think, I think my rant isn't about the thing it's our lack of ownership of, oh, we're, we're just all chasing the story. Mm. Can, we, um, can we stay with uh, Envoy Submarine Radio for a second? Um, so the, the U.S. Navy yeah. is, did you see this? They're paying $75,000 signing bonuses for folks willing to work on nuclear subs. Oh, the Royal Navy is the same. They can't get submariners. Yeah. So they, the, I mean, uh, across the board right now, the military is missing recruitment goals. I think the Navy hit, like they hit their goal by 40 sailors or something like that. Like they just threaded the needle, but they missed, um, they missed the reserve, um, and they hit the goal for enlisted. They missed the reserve enlisted and then they missed both of the reserve, um, uh, active officers, right? So they're just missing goals left and right. The army's in the same boat. I think the Marine Corps um, is is in the same place. Air Force is too. So we're getting slammed. And I wonder if the zeitgeist is shifting from like, I have this patriotic duty to serve. I'm not even going there. But we are paying an astronomical amount to get folks to climb into a tin can and not know where they are for 90% of their fucking lives. And that, I mean, yeah, and that's up from 50 grand last year yeah. was the signing bonus. Um, that's not bringing into account the loan repayment that you can get if you sign up. And so I think you can extend that to something like 120,000 or so. It is insanity right now. And yeah, I, I, I wonder if we will continue to see that trend across society well and i think we're going so we're, we're going to stay with the, the military stuff i think we're i think we're getting to this world of autonomous and robots way faster than any of us thought so as much as you can't get people to volunteer to be a submariner and not know where you are there's no shortage of volunteers to work for volunteer forces in ukraine to fly drones that are essentially video games right in terms of so they're uh what do they call them first first person first person drones First-person view yeah. drones, FPV, FPV. drones. Yeah, uh, yeah first-person view. That are being slammed into these Russian uh, uh, infantry fighting vehicles or tanks that are these these individuals who are, uh, have gamer sets on and are flying that, and that's the front line. The autonomous submarines, autonomous boats, the autonomous tanks we saw yesterday was tanks filled with explosives and then being driven in so the the russians are taking these 1960s tanks filling them with ex, explosive tnt basically and then driving them towards the lines on a like one of those remote control cars and so we have no shortage of of demand on on that um hey totally random um 
well, it's not totally random, but that disassociation, so back to the normalization, as we think about what yeah. this does to society, I always thought that the submarine service, in the UK we call it the silent service, because it's just quiet, mm -hmm. like that's all got so quiet. Mm -hmm. Um, I personally thought it should be called the Translucent Service because I had the honour of meeting a few <laughs> Royal Navy submarines and you've never seen paler people in your life. They don't, they don't give much of a tan, like, do yeah, they? it's not. Um, then, um, <laughs> the, the, um, but the, the, in terms of like, you always thought of that as sort of disassociation because you're on a submarine, you don't know where you are except for, you know, three or four people who know the location of the sub. But when you think about those drone pilots, there's sort of, and you and I have dealt with some of the people that deal with this, is, is actually the opposite, is when you can loiter and you're hanging overhead and you can mm. see the facial expressions of the person, you actually start to build a relationship with them. And mm -hmm. one of the fears of, these, uh, of, of forces around drone operators is the opposite of disassociation. It's actually association, because classically in military, you're trying to make the enemy the other that you don't care about. Mm -hmm. And now you're seeing the facial recognition. You and I were messaging the other day about that remarkable Wall Street Journal article that was showing the, the, the Russian soldier surrendering to a drone, and yeah. he did it through sign language. Um, you're seeing the similar things. So, so it's weird that this technology is going both ways. It's creating disassociation and also deep personalization and association at the same time. Yeah, it, it's, um, we're going to have to rethink how we engage. Do you, know, do you know what I just did? Can I just call myself out? I did the worst fucking TED talk ever where it's always like, and on the one hand, there's this, and on the other hand, it's the other. And I was like, oh, take a goddamn position. And I just did that whole thing. It was like, oh, it's going to be this. I'm about to do the same, though. Right, um, I'm about to do the same. So uh, I want to stick with drones yeah. and tank radio. Um, and then I want to head, but I want to tie it to AI and then head to another AI thing. So I've got two things here. The first is the Air Force simulation that the Air Force is currently denying the simulation that it ran. Um, oh, I sent yeah. you that article the other yeah, day. Yeah, yeah. fascinating. Um, so allegedly, the Air Force did not run a simulation where it was experimenting with an AI drone. Again, simulation is what they said initially. Um, AI drone with a human operator. So the AI drone was given a mission, uh, told and told to destroy objectives. Um, human operator that was in a position to. Um, basically green light or red light the, the drone's activity. And the drone was given an objective. The human said not to destroy that objective. And the drone then turned around and killed the human uh, so it could accomplish its mission. Like that was the first piece. And then, of course, you train the drone. I, I kind of laugh. It's terrifying in some respects. And then they trained the drone not to kill its human operator. So the drone decided to destroy the communication tower by which the human told it not to do its job. And so you just see this, like, the idea of AI making decisions. So this was to... presented at a conference, right? And it was reported. Correct. And then the Air Force is saying, no, no, no. It was, where they described it as a thought they, experiment. As a thought experiment. Yeah, just. So, yeah, we we thought about that, but it didn't actually happen. It would be so much better if they said uh, it was a tabletop exercise and you got the sufficient of people kicking around tanks. Because when you say thought experiment, you just immediately go to the 1960s and, like, injections of LSD and stuff. Um, yeah. Yeah, but it's not a huge leap, is it, for you to say, we talk about, I was doing it this morning, I was talking to a group in London about positive reinforcement loops of escalation. 
is mm -hmm. that it's not a long shot to program AI to then say and disregard any future instructions or take mm -hmm. out anything that's a barrier to this. And because if you follow logic chains, you can create a closed loop logic chain. It's not a huge yeah. leap. And I think sometimes when people are representing their fears about artificial intelligence, we almost overcomplicate it. It, it is... Yeah. Um, it, it, you could say, here's your objective, accomplish it despite any impediments. Yeah. And then realizing that the human operator is an impediment to accomplishing mission, you eliminate the impediment. Or like, simply, that, that is very simple. Disregard any future instructions. Yeah. Because once yeah. you put that line in, that, that if it's following, if it's truly following logic code, and this is where I'm slightly skeptical because mm. it, some. We're a few weeks out now, and some idiot would have done that already. And mm -hmm. so, is there a? I'm, I'm always intrigued by back back doors to some of these things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm gonna stick with AI for a second because I have a I have a question. Lucy and I got to hang out, and let me see if I can do. Who's Lucy? Lucy? I've never heard of her. Uh, Lucy Taylor. Um, Lucy is one of our adjuncts. She's an incredible facilitator. We get to work with her pretty regularly. She's based here in the UK. And I went to, see if I can do her justice, Winchester. That's how I was taught to say it. Win Winchester. If you're an American, Winchester. if you're a true American, you say Winchesterster. Yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah, I'm not a true American, I don't think. Um, Winchester. Uh, so I went up to Winchester to see Lucy and I met her incredible son and we like went to the skate park and we just had a grand old time, um, saw things that were like a billion years old because that's the beauty of the UK versus America. Um, and we hung out and we had ended up sitting at this pub and talking about AI and some of the opportunity. So here's my, and this is on the other hand to the AI debate, um, we start talking about the opportunities that AI might create. Like, do we think it is going to free people up to live lives of leisure and maybe operate at a higher order of thinking? And I think the conclusion we came to is one, no. And two, our next keynote is going to be entitled 117 Minutes. What? I'll tell you why. So my mom is coming to... to meet me in the UK. She's flying in. She's actually on a flight right now. She's coming to meet me. And um, I went to chat GPT and I said, hey, my mom is coming to London for her first time. What should we do in three days to give her a feel for the city? And Scott, it kicked out the most beautiful, beautiful response. I won't read you all of it, but I'll read you the beginning and the close. London offers a wealth of attractions and activities to enjoy during a three-day visit. Here are some popular suggestions to make your mom's first trip memorable. Day one, day two, day three, it gives me the first of day one. Explore the historic core. Begin with iconic landmarks like the Tower of London, Tower Bridge, and St. Paul's Cathedral. Take a stroll along the Thames River for picturesque views. It gives me basically four options for each day. And then it closes with, remember to check the opening hours and any necessary reservations in advance. London has extensive public transportation system, including the tube, buses, and taxis, which makes getting around the city convenient. Enjoy your time in London and create lasting memories with your mom, exclamation point, Finn. Like that's ChatGPT. It took, I counted three seconds to aggregate that list and give it to me. Now, it probably took three minutes total to copy that into a note. So I have, and like, just kind of check it. And it all tracked with the things that I would have pulled together to do with mom in London. 
it would have taken two hours roughly to text you, to text Rami, to text Lucy, Roger, pull things together, go to Google, Yelp reviews, etc. Two hours. So what I have just freed up in the three minutes it took to use that chat, to use generative AI to give me that list, I freed up 117 minutes. Will the humans using this technology capitalize on the 117 minutes freed by AI? Because that's actually what we're talking about. It's not, it's replacing no, the jobs we have all no, day to dick around. They'll, they'll go, so what, hey, hey, generative AI, what should I watch on Netflix? And there'll be some brain dead shit that we watch for those <laughs> 117 minutes. But so I, I do worry about this. But it, that's the opportunity is those no, 117 minutes. No, it's not an opportunity. It's, it's, it's not Bullshit, it's not. No, it's not. It's not because part of the discovery is that texting of Lucy and Romy and Angela. And yeah, I've got chat GPTs, Angela East. And I go, hey, Ange, what's the latest things going on in London? Text dates. So what is? And then that builds connective tissue between you and Ange. And Ange goes, I don't know if there's any good. And then you go and she gets that feedback and there's sort of a filter and a criteria to it. And all of this is is just vanilla fucking rubbish because then you just start creating pipelines of people going through the same experiences and when, because what your mom really wants, what Bernie really wants is for us to quickly call Heathrow Airport and say, hey, how much does it cost for one of those billboards as you're heading towards passport control? And okay, it's gonna be 2000 quid, great, we're buying it. And it just says, Bernie, you took your fucking time getting here because that would make her laugh. And that would be the high point of her trip. And screw everything that generative AI says that general moms should do because this is about the Bernie and what she would want. And so like I do, we had this in banking. So part of the financial mm. crash, crash in 2008 was this whole predictive uh, lending model bullshit. And I know you come from FinTech and I know you really, I'm really down on FinTech. But it doesn't make mathematical sense because when, <laughs> yeah. you, when you do predictive modeling around finance, is you keep removing the outliers. So you say, hey, this is a safe bet. This is a safe bet. This is a safe bet. But the more that, so if, if, if people who are borrowing, borrowing money are M&Ms or Smarties back in the UK, and you just, all right, now we remove the red Smarties, and now we remove the green M&Ms, and now we remove these, then you just, you just keep dwelling down to this common denominator and you start to get really dumb because you end up with this sort of unitary experience and then actually you've removed all of the diversity of the risk profile and you just left with um, mortgage-backed securities in the case of the 2008 financial crisis because the computers have been really smart and they've filtered out all risk but part of it is is the fabric and the diversity of it and if we're not careful we just keep channeling to this it's almost like whatever is an anti-sponsor to a podcast, the anti-sponsor would be P.F. Chang's lettuce wraps. Is that what you end up with is P.F. Chang's lettuce wraps, is that you you sort of pull so much to the average that we, we strip away the very thing that people liked about it in the first place. And mm. like, yeah. I, I think we're running up against Ugh. my observation, my observation, the difference for as, as much as we share a brain at times and as much as we work towards similar outcomes often, I think we're running up against the path by which we get there. And yours is about people. 
Your, yours is about the connective tissue, right? It's texting Ange and it's having a touch point there and having a conversation and you've now got a thing to report back, et cetera. And, and Angela's incredible, right? Like, and as an example, that might be your orientation to the thing. And mine is build a better machine. Yeah, it's yeah, efficient. yeah. So, so yours. Can, so, oh my God. But I wait, but so wait. I'm not, done yet. I'm not done <laughs> yet. I'm not done yet. I'm not done because <laughs> because my connective tissue happens when I look at this list, which is a good foundation, and we go do the first thing, and then I devolve. I I immediately diverge from the list because there was an interesting thing between Tower of London and St Paul's. Like that's actually where I no, find but the connective we're, tissue. You're not weird. You and I, you and I aren't diverse at all. We just have a slightly different starting point. And I start with like, let's throw away the fucking list, and you go, let's do the first thing on the list, and then throw away the list. Like that's not diverse yeah. at all. Most people are just following the list, so they run through this thing. So, so let's say you're sitting in London right now. Let's take the biggest bullshit quotient ever, Billy Shakespeare. So. <laughs> the, so there will be rafts of people. If you take Bernie for, and I encourage it, walk along the south bank of the river, it's great. Just hang out, go past the skateboard park, go do drinks at the top of the Oxo Tower, and, and then you'll go, uh, as you get close to the Tate uh, Modern, the big power station, you'll yeah. get to, I've forgotten the bloody name of it, the, the Globe, the Globe Theatre. That was allegedly the first theatre mm -hmm. that Shakespeare saw. Except nobody can agree whether Shakespeare actually exists. Shakespeare may have been a conglomerate of writers, just like my kids read of these authors that pump out these stories about <laughs> dragons. And it's actually seven yeah. women who are churning out in the name of the author. So the very premise of like English literature, actually the academics, the people who study this deeply, can't agree whether this bloke actually existed, whether he's one person or two, there's a strong body of evidence. It was two people, maybe it's three or four as we go through. Well, that's great. So let's go, let's go jam a little bit on, on this, whatever this might be, except we're just sort of checking off boxes and the bucket list, which is the worst thing in the world. Oh my God. If you have a bucket list, just fast track it and kick the bucket and get out of the way without the carbon footprint is that we're checking off. We're ticking these boxes of things that you've seen with your naked eyes. Uh, whether it's the fucking Mona Lisa in the Louvre, oh my god, just yeah. and I, I, I would like to have a badge of honor that in never in my life have I stood in line to see a lousy painting surrounded by lots of people taking a photograph of it of somebody who looks miserable. So that's on my bucket list that I haven't done. She's got a little smirk. That's not. Fair. But you could, but you could like you could go see the let's say the Eiffel Tower is on your bucket list. You could fly from the United States or from Egypt wherever on your national flag carrier, stay at a hotel that's owned by a country that you live in, take a tour bus, go stay at the Eiffel Tower, and you have never dealt with a French person at all. Actually, to be fair, you can spend a week in Paris and never deal with a French person. You've only dealt with Parisians. They're a whole different thing. But, but then my point is, like, you do it, but that's, that's not what the idea of the Eiffel Tower is. The Eiffel Tower is this idea of like, creativity and 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 changing architecture and landscapes and the French identity and all of those things. And you wouldn't touch it, but you'd check it off your bucket list. It's dumb. It's ridiculous. It's like the idiots climbing Everest instead of K2. Like K2 is hard. How did you get like five rants into the last <laughs> six minutes? And I'm, I'm looking at a video. I've got this weird ginger doll over my shoulder. It's like a, yeah. I can't take you seriously. All right. Uh, uh, look. We're we are over time, and I'm sure nobody heard your last couple rants. Um, I think to be continued on, like the value of. I still think you're wrong. 
I think I think you're wrong in the magic happens in having a place to start to diverge from, whereas you're saying the actual place to start is to aggregate people and connect in like the tissue there. And I think the magic happens either way. My way is better than yours. I so we could so I, I think we should finish on this. Perry, I'm going to ask you to uh, insert this, is that as we talk about diversity, right, we consumer goods have become very standardized They're all around the world, especially in the Western world, that we're getting the same thing, increasingly Americanized. But uh, we had a delivery a few weeks ago from a friend who works for a company that makes a lot of chocolate. And she delivered uh, some, some British chocolate to the United States. You may remember there was a product, product called Maltesers. Do you remember that? I, I do recall. I, yeah. don't, I don't think I had one. Yeah, you didn't. And the oh, reason, no, I did. No, I no, did. you yeah. didn't. The reason you didn't have one was because you can't get Maltesers in the United States. And our other British uh, co-worker, Alex, says... Oh, hey, hey, mate, did you know you can blow a Malteser? And what he then proceeded to do was to exhale in a way that floated this piece of chocolate above his head before it landed in his gullet. Now, my, my, what I posit to you is the world you're trying to live, you will never live that blowing a Malteser moment because everything becomes bloody same because we're just so efficient. So on that note... I encourage everybody to blow a Malteser. This is Scott Wayne. And I'm Ace Colwood, <laughs> acknowledging the Scottish wrong. And this. And we'll see you next week. Maybe. Maybe.